unabridged commentary on the Bible. Numbers 14 verses 5 to 10, the expostulation of Joshua and Caleb. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And he spake to all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear you the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defenses departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them, but all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Commentary The friends of Israel here interposed to save them if possible from ruin and themselves, but in vain. The physicians of their state would have healed them, but they would not be healed. Their watchmen gave them warning, but they would not take warning, and so their blood is upon their own heads. The best endeavors were used to steal the tumult. And if now at last they would have understood the things that belonged to their peace, all the following mischief would have been prevented. 1. Moses and Aaron did their part. Verse 5. Though it was against them that they murmured. Verse 2. Yet they bravely overlooked the affront and injury done them, and approved themselves faithful friends to those who were outrageous enemies to them. The clamor and noise of the people were so great that Moses and Aaron could not be heard. Should they order any of their servants to proclaim silence, the angry multitude would perhaps be the more clamorous, and therefore, to gain audience in the sight of all the assembly, they fell on their faces, thus expressing, one, their humble prayers to God, to still the noise of the sea, the noise of its waves, even the tumult of the people. Number two, Caleb and Joshua did their part. They rent their clothes in a holy indignation at the sin of the people, in a holy dread of the wrath of God, which they saw ready to break out against them. It was a greater trouble to these good men because the tumult was occasioned by those spies with whom they had been joined in commission, and therefore they thought themselves obliged to do what they could to still the storm which their fellows had raised. No reasoning could be more pertinent and pathetic than theirs was in verses 7 and 9. And he spake with authority. First they assured them of the goodness of the land they had surveyed, and it was really worth venturing for. And not a land it had the inhabitants as evil spies had represented it. It is an exceeding good land. Verse 7. It's very, very good, so the word is. So that they had no reason to despise this pleasant land. Note, if men were but thoroughly convinced of the desirableness of the gains of religion, they would not stick at the services of it. Number two, they made nothing of the difficulties that seemed to lie in the way of their gaining the possession of it. Do not fear the people of the land. Verse nine, whatever formidable ideas have been given you of them, the lion is not so fierce as he is painted out to be. They are bred for us. That is air set before us rather to be fed upon than to be fought with so easily, so pleasantly, 
and with so much advantage to ourselves shall we master them. Pharaoh is said to have been given them for meat. Psalm 74 verse 14, and the Canaanites will be so too, to show that whatever was suggested to the contrary, the advantage was clear on Israel's side. For first, though the Canaanites dwell in walled cities, they are naked. Their defense has departed from them. The common providence which preserves the rights of nations has abandoned them and will be no shelter nor protection to them. The other spies took notice of their strength, but these, of their wickedness, and thence inferred that God had forsaken them, and therefore their defense had departed. No people can be safe when they have provoked God to leave them. But also, though Israel dwell in tents, they are fortified. The Lord is with us, and his name is a strong tower. Fear them not. Note, while we have the presence of God with us, we need not fear the most powerful force against us. Three, they showed them plainly that all the danger they were in was from their own discontents, and that they would succeed against all their enemies if they did not make God their enemy. On this point alone, the cause would turn for Satan. If the Lord delight in us, it certainly he does, and will if we do not provoke him. He will bring us into this good land. We shall without fail get it in possession by his favor. In the light of its countenance, Psalm 44, verse 3, If we do not forfeit his favor by our own follies, turn away our own mercies. It has come to this issue, verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord. Note, nothing can ruin sinners but their own rebellion. If God leads them, it is because they drive him from them, and they die, because they will die. None are excluded, the heavenly Canaan, but those that exclude themselves. And now, could the case have been more plain? Could it have been urged more closely? But, what was the effect? Secondly, it was all to no purpose. They were deaf to this fair reasoning. Nay, they were exasperated by it and grew more outrageous. All the congregation bade stone them with stones. Verse 10. The rulers of the congregation and the great men, thus says Bishop Patrick, ordered the common people to fall upon them and knock their brains out. Their case was sad indeed when their leaders thus caused them to err. Note. It is common for those whose hearts are fully set in them to do evil, to rage at those who give them good counsel. Those who hate to be reformed hate those that would reform them, and count them their enemies because they tell them the truth. Thus early did Israel begin to misuse the prophet, and stone those that were sent to them. And it was this that filled the measure of their sin, Matthew 23, verse 37. Stone them with stones. Why? What evil have they done? No crime can be laid to their charge. But the truth is these two witnesses tormented those that were obstinate in their infidelity. Caleb and Joshua had but just said, The Lord is with them. Fear them not. Verse 9. And if Israel will not apply those encouraging words to their own fears, those that uttered them know how to encourage themselves with them against this enraged multitude that spoke of stoning them. Is David. In a like cause, for Samuel 30, verse 6, those that cannot prevail to edify others with their counsels and comfort should endeavor at least to edify themselves. Caleb and Joshua knew they appeared for God, 
in his glory, and therefore did not doubt but God would appear for them and their safety, and they were not disappointed, for immediately the glory of the Lord appeared to the terror and confusion of those that were stoning the servants of God. When they reflected upon God, verse 3, his glory appeared not to silence their blasphemies, but when they threatened Caleb and Joshua, they touched the apple of his eye, and his glory appeared immediately. Note, those who faithfully expose themselves for God are sure to be taken under a special protection and shall be hidden from the rage of men, either under heaven or in heaven. Numbers 14, verses 11 and 19, the intercession of Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed them, I will smite them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and will make of you a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, The Egyptians shall hear it. For you have brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they have heard that you, Lord, are among this people, and you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and that you go before them by daytime in a pillar of cloud, and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you shall kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of you will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore to them. Therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. And now, I beseech you, let the power of my Lord be great according as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech you, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your mercy, and as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Commentary. Here is one, the righteous sentence which God gave against Israel for their murmuring and unbelief, which, though afterwards mitigated, showed what was a desert of their sin and the demand of injured justice, and what would have been done if Moses had not interposed. When the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle, we may suppose that Moses took it for a call to him immediately to come and attend there. As before the tabernacle was erected, he went up to the mount in a similar case. Exodus 32 verse 30. Thus, while the people were studying to disgrace him, God publicly put honor upon him as a man of his counsel. Now, here we are told what God said to him there. 1. He showed him the great evil of the people's sin. Verse 11. What passed between God and Israel went through the hands of Moses. When they were displeased with God, they told Moses of it. Verse 2. When God was displeased with them, he told Moses as well, revealing a secret to a servant a prophet. Amos 3 verse 7. Two things God justly complains of to Moses. 1. Their sin. They provoke me, or, as the word signifies, they reject, reproach, despise me, for they will not believe me. This is a bitter root which bore the gall and the wormwood. It was their unbelief that made this a day of provocation in the wilderness. Hebrew 3 verse 8. 
Note, distrust of God, of his power and promise, is itself a very great provocation, and at the bottom of many other provocations. Unbelief is a great sin, 1 John 5.10, and a root sin, Hebrew 3.12. Number two, their continuance in it. How long will they do so? Note, the God of heaven keeps an account how long sinners persist in their provocations, and the longer they persist, the more he is displeased. The aggravations of their sin were, first, their relation to God, this people, a peculiar people, a professing people, nearer any to God in name and profession, the more he is provoked by their sins, especially their unbelief. Secondly, the experience they had had of God's power and goodness in all the signs which he had shown among them, by which one would think he had effectually obliged them to trust him and follow him. The more God has done for us, the greater is the provocation if we distrust him. Number two, he showed them the sentence with justice passed upon them for it. Verse 12. What remains now but that I should make a full end of them? It will soon be done. I will smite them with a pestilence, not leave a man of them alive, but wholly blot out their name and race, and so disinherit them, and be no more troubled with them. Ah, I will ease me of my adversaries. They wish to die, and let them die, and neither root nor branch be left of them, such rebellious children deserve to be disinherited. And if it be asked what will become of God's covenant with Abraham, then here is an answer. I shall be preserved in the family of Moses. I will make of you a greater nation. Thus, God would test Moses whether he still continued that affection for Israel, which he formally expressed on a like occasion, in preferring their interest before the advancement of his own family and it is proved that Moses was still in the same public spirit. He could not bear the thought of raising his own name upon the ruin of the name of Israel. 2. God would teach us that he will not be a loser by the ruin of sinners. If Adam and Eve had been cut off and disinherited, he could have made another Adam and another Eve, and have glorified his mercy in them as here he could have glorified his mercy in Moses, though Israel had been ruined. But secondly, the humble intercession Moses made for them, their sin had made a fatal breach in the wall of their defense, in which destruction would certainly have entered if Moses had not seasonably stepped in and made it good. Here was a type of Christ who interceded for his persecutors, and prayed for those that despitefully used him, leaving us an example to his own rule, Matthew 5, verse 44. The prayer of his petition is one word, Pardon, I beseech you, the iniquity of this people, verse 19. That is, do not bring upon them the ruin they deserve. This was Christ's prayer for those that crucified him. Father, forgive them. The pardon of a national sin as such consists in the turning away of the national punishment, and that is it for which Moses is here so earnest. The pleas are many, and strongly urge as first, 
He insists most upon the plea that is taken from the glory of God, verses 13 to 16. With this, he begins and somewhat abruptly taking occasion from that dreadful word. I will disinherit them. Lord, he says, then the Egyptians shall hear it. God's honor lay near to his heart than any interests of his own. Observe how he orders his cause before God. He pleads, the eyes both of Egypt and Canaan were upon them, and great expectations were raised concerning them. They could not but have heard that you, Lord, are among this people. Verse 14, the neighboring countries rang of it, how much his people were the particular care of heaven so as never any people under the sun were. But secondly, that if they should be cut off, great notice would be taken of it. The Egyptians will hear it. Verse 13, For they have their spies among us, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. Verse 14, For there was great correspondence between Egypt and Canaan, although not by the way of this wilderness, if this people that have made so great a noise be all consumed pretensions come to nothing, and their light go out in a snuff, ill be told with pleasure and gath, and publish in the streets of Ashkelon, and what construction will the heathen put upon it? It will be impossible to make them understand it. It's an act of God's justice, and as such redounding to God's honor. Brutish men know not this, Psalm 92 verse 6, but they will impute it to the failing of God's power and so turn it to his reproach. Verse 16. They will say he slew them in the wilderness, because it was not able to bring them to Canaan, his arm being shortened, and a stock of miracles being spent. Now, Lord, let not one attribute be glorified at the expense of another. Rather let mercy rejoice against judgment, than that almighty power should be impeached. Note. The best pleas and prayer are those that are taken from God's honor, for they agree with the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be thy name. Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. God pleads it with himself. Deuteronomy 32 verse 27. I fear the wrath of the enemy, and we should use it as an argument with ourselves to walk so and everything as to give no occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Number two, he pleads God's proclamation of his name at Horeb. Verses 17 and 18. Let the power of the Lord be great. Power is here put for pardoning mercy. It is his power over his anger. If he should destroy them, God's power would be questioned. If he should continue and complete their salvation, notwithstanding the difficulties that arose, not only from the strength of their enemies, but from their own provocations, this would greatly magnify the divine power. What cannot he do who can make so weak a people conquerors and such an unworthy people favorites? The more danger there is of others reproaching God's power, the more desirous we should be to see it glorified. To enforce this petition, he refers to the word which God had spoken. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy. God's goodness had there been spoken of is his glory. God gloried in it. Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7. Now, 
Here he prays that upon this occasion he would glorify it. Note, we must take our encouragement and prayer from the word of God, upon which he has caused us to hope. Psalm 119, verse 49. Lord, be and do according as you have spoken. For have you spoken, and will you not make it good? Three things God had solemnly made a declaration of, which Moses here fastens upon and improves for the enforcing of his petition. One, the goodness of God's nature in general, that he is long-suffering or slow to anger and of great mercy, and soon provoked, but tender and compassionate towards offenders. Number two, his readiness in particular to pardon sin, forgiving iniquity and transgression, sins of all sorts. Three, his unwillingness to proceed to extremity, even when he does punish. For in this sense the following words may be read, that will by no means make quite desolate in visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. God had indeed said in the second commandment, did he would thus visit. But here he promises not to make a full end of families, churches and nations at once, and so it is very applicable to this occasion. For Moses cannot beg to God, but not at all punish this sin. It would be too great an encouragement to rebellion if he should set no mark of his displeasure upon it, but that he would not kill all his people as one man. Verse 15. He does not ask that they may not be corrected, but that they may not be disinherited. His proclamation of God's name was more apposite to his purpose because it was made upon occasion of the pardoning of their sin and making the golden calf to sin, which they had now fallen into was bad enough, but it was not idolatry. And thirdly, he pleads past experience. If thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, verse 19, it seemed to make against him, why should those be forgiven any more who after they had been so often forgiven? revolted yet more and more and seemed hardened and encouraged in their rebellion by the lenity and patience of their God and the frequent pardons they had obtained. Among men it would have been thought impolitic to take notice of such a circumstance and a request of this nature as it might operate to the prejudice of the petitioner. But as another thing so unpardoning sin, God's thoughts and ways are infinitely above ours. Isaiah 55, 9. Moses looks upon it as a good plea. Lord, forgive. As you have forgiven, there will be no more reproach to your justice, nor any less a praise of your mercy. To forgive now than it has been formerly. Therefore, the sons of Jacob are not consumed, because they have to do with a God that does not change. Malachi 3, verse 6.